the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. What a program, what a show uh, to see today. You're going to want to hang in here. I I actually got an email uh, from... Well, Papua New Guinea is technically not right. Bougainville. Bougainville is a, ta- a, a island, an island, uh, not far, not too far from Australia, off the coast of Papua New Guinea, which is an island that on one side is Papua New Guinea, which is a nation. The other side is Irianjaya, which is a state in Indonesia. I've been to Irianjaya when I lived in Indonesia 25 or 30 years ago. And, uh, my friend, uh, John Kuhns, who has written a book on Bougainville and Bougainville's, uh, democracy and other things he he, he te- emailed me and he said hey i got an update when i talked to you a year or so ago about my book and about how bougainville had a new uh governor his name is ishmael and the book is fascinating he said the, the update is the chinese communists are circling literally uh bougainville is an island that's uh, i think technically in the solomon islands and so it's um being uh, influenced and dominated by the communist Chinese regime who's trying to increase their power in the Pacific um, and spreading it out while we were while we were fighting wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and while we we're uh, funding things in Ukraine uh, in that part of the world over in the Pacific, the Chinese communists are growing, growing, growing. So anyway, uh, John Kuhn sent me an email and he said, hey, can you talk? I want to tell you about this. Your listeners will be interested. And I said, sure. And we ended up talking. It's 16 hours ahead. Uh, excuse me, 13 hours ahead of the West Coast in America. So, uh, when you talk to someone in, let me see if I'm getting this right. Yeah. In Bougainville. Um, am I getting it right or is it 19 hours? Is it going the other way? I guess it's 19 hours. Um, Anyway, I was talking to him and it was the next day. It was the next day and some. It was about, uh, nine o'clock at night and it was, um, the next day at midday. So sometime around there. But anyway, we'll hear from him. It's fascinating to hear and, uh, and fascinating to see, to, to hear how the Chinese are, uh, expanding their reach all over the place. So we've got that and a lot more. So, but let me tell you, I want to make sure to give you a way to understand what's gone on with this, uh, Silicon Valley bank. SVB, I think it's called. It's the 19th largest bank in the country. So it's not big, but it's not small, right? It's not your neighbor. It's not like a local businessman who started a little bank. It's a big bank. It's got a lot of stuff. In fact, looking at the assets that were in there, Roku, uh, Roku, which is a service that my wife and I have uh, used on some of our TVs at home, older TVs that can't upgrade, you can flip over to Roku and they work well. So, uh, Roku had a bunch, about half their um, uh, uh, cash assets in this bank. So the bank had a run, right? It crashed. And so it was frozen. And here's the thing. A bunch of individual uh, uh, account holders are at risk and a bunch of businesses too. And this bank, of course. But here's the thing. 
I, and it looks like we've seen that the Fed, the federal government has decided to uh, come in and stabilize it either by assisting in the purchase of the bank or but making whole those people who were about to lose their their shirts. And over the weekend, there were a lot of people that were saying, oh, tough luck. If you invest in something, you're stuck. Well, here's my point. Here's my point. You know who I blame? I, I, I don't even blame the bankers. I don't even blame the bankers because what we have, I blame the regulators. And here's why. Because we set up a system, a system of banking where we tell banks, do whatever you want as long as we don't come and look at it and say, stop. And so the bankers do whatever they want and they'd make stupid investments and all. And the regulators are supposed to, at least by the design, to stop that. And in this case, they didn't. Why didn't they? I, I don't know yet. Was it corruption? Was it negligence? Was it just stupidity? What was it? But at a certain point, you're asking like a bank in this case, you're saying, act however you want, because we're going to be looking. And therefore, you should not do this, this, and this. But they didn't look. They clearly didn't look. The description of what happened to uh, Silicon Valley Bank is that they got themselves in a position where they were locked in I think they were locked into uh, interest rates that if the rates went up, they would be stuck at rates below and having and an unable to get liquid. I'm getting that a little bit wrong, I think. But my point here is that where are where is the government? If the government made a system that's supposed to watch all these things and they don't watch, whose fault is that? And, and if you think I'm arguing for more uh, bureaucracy, you're wrong. I'm arguing for the opposite. I'm arguing that we should get rid of the system that has this fake regulatory safety net so that people don't fall for it. Now, and you say, oh, well, there's going to be no more banks. No, there'll be banks, but they'll have normal insurance and they'll pay for insurance. And then they will regulate themselves more substantially because they'll know they're at risk. In this case, they were supposed to have Big Brother looking over their shoulder and he was asleep. And again, I'm not arguing that Big Brother should do a better job. I'm arguing that it can't. The bureaucracies are terrible. They're terrible. They're ineffective. They're problematic. And therefore, you know, of course, we have to do something to save this the, the, the people in this, uh, especially the individual uh, uh, account holders. But what we should really do is change the system. And, and realize that we're never going to have an effective system where regulators can effectively look and check all the things and all the rules they've made. And SVB is one of these do-gooder type banks. Probably the reason they didn't get a lot of scrutiny from the regulators is because they were able to signal, virtue signal to the regulators. Look at us. We have this, uh, uh, diversity. We have this, uh, environmental thing. We have that. We have all this junk and therefore don't look too close closely and therefore that you know and that's what happens so the system is far too regulated by silliness no no that's wrong i'm, I'm getting wrong uh, what you need to know is the system that wants to value things like diversity and uh and equity and the environment and all that stuff and and then has human being bureaucrat regulators looking over the shoulder of these banks is by definition corrupt, meaning it's going to end up not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So, yes, we have to bail out SVB, I guess, 
or more importantly, we have to shore it up or let it be purchased. But mostly it's because the system is set up for corruption, for small C corruption. I don't know if they're getting paid for it, but they certainly were not doing their job. And so it looks like we've avoided a run on all the banks, which is what people feared on Friday. But I think it's, again, my lesson coming away is not that the banks were bad. They were. It's not that the system, uh, the bank system is too big to fail. Probably is. It's that these regulators, where were they? Typical. You can't trust anybody. All right, that's what you need to know. We got to take a break. We'll come right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And uh, our next guest is an old friend. She was on our show many, many years ago, I think now. I can't even remember. But she is uh, Carol Markowitz, and she is an author. She writes columns over at the New York Post and other places. She she has um, the distinction of being one of the great chroniclers of the problems of New York uh, versus Florida, which has been actually sort of fun to watch because she moved with her family from uh, New York to uh, Florida and, uh, and was describing the COVID, uh, the pandemic, uh, overreaches and things. And, and she has a, she has a piece over at the New York Post a couple days ago, uh, with Bethany Mandel and who is her co-author of a new book. And I want to talk about the piece that she posted, but the book is called Stolen Youth. And it's really important. It's out, I guess it's out like yesterday or two days ago. And so it's brand new. Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. You heard me talk about it uh, two days ago in segment four of the program and highlight what's the, what the book's about and, uh, and what's happening. It's very important. So welcome back, Carol. First of all, thanks for coming on. It's great to hear from you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So may I ask you first about this pig column, about the, the, the contents, uh, because you're describing how you had a, a book idea. Mm-hmm. You, a proven writer, proven author, uh, yeah. Bethany Mandel, a well-known uh, activist and, and personality, and you, the, the publisher was nervous. The, the topic made the publisher nervous. Describe what you, you encountered. We have, uh, you know, so many bylines between us. We've written for every single outlet, um, conservative and also non-conservative. Bethany's written for New York, po- uh, the New York Times. She's written for right. Washington Post. Um, we really ran the gamut and, uh, we weren't, we were pretty much a safe bet in writing a book. We weren't going to write anything crazy. And we were, we're two moms. Um, she has six kids. I have three. We have, <laughs> Uh, a lot of experience writing about this and publishers were all interested in our book. This is conservative publishers because conservative publishers fall under like a a separate category in publishing Mm -hmm. and conservative publishers were all interested. And they told us plainly that at at that moment when Ryan Anderson's book had gotten pulled off of Amazon and Abigail Schreier's book was getting pulled, had gotten pulled off of target and they were considering pulling it off of Amazon as well that it was a scary moment for them and they really couldn't take any chances. And the lines that we say in the story are all true where they said, we love the book, we want it, but can you tone down the fighting a little bit? And we said, <laughs> we absolutely cannot. No, we cannot tone down the fighting a little bit. Um, to us, fighting for your children is the most obvious thing in the world. And we didn't think that a book that kind of told you how to fight for your children, but not really made any sense. So. Yeah. We, we fought to get what we wanted and 
we ended up going with a different publisher. Daily Wire yeah. was just launching their publishing company. It's really kind of still new. And they took a chance on us and they said, you know, we're going to stand by this book. And so far, they've been terrific. You know, um, and I, I want to mention uh, Abigail Schreier, who uh, plowed this ground ahead of you a little bit in terms of writing uh, hard uh, a, a book that had some hard truths in it that people weren't ready for. And, and we had her on the program uh, before she got sort of she she got sort of canceled mid swing. She ha- already had the book out. She was not mm-hmm. a not known as a uh, not known as a, um, a wild eyed uh, conservative at all. Right. Yeah. No, she's not. So and Regnery took a chance on her and then and mid swing it kind of. So we salute her and encourage her. All right. Now to the book, though, um, uh, it, it's first of all, you know, you're an observer of the uh, of America closely because of your own life experience. Mm-hmm. Did you did you ever? Um, I know I'm going to know the answer, but t- talk about how hard it would be to imagine. I don't know, ten years ago, Carol saying I'm going to write about this happening in America. Like the speed of this is also stunning, yeah. isn't it? It really is, and it's been really hard to watch. So I was born in the Soviet Union. I um, came to America as a small child, but I I grew up with all of the lessons of a a family that had been in the Soviet Union for many generations and had really been silenced and targeted and just so many things that I I had learned in my life um, through my family's experience. And and in my life, um, during the Clinton years, for example, or even in the Obama years, uh, people would say to me, like, does this seem Soviet to you? And I would say, no, <laughs> it really doesn't. It doesn't. Right, right, um, right. But now it does. And now it's scary. And it really does. Um, I, I see Americans being afraid to speak. I see Americans being afraid to say the obvious. Um, as Bethany and I always say, it's this wokeness, this deep leftism is really unpopular. Only 7% of the country considers themselves very liberal. And the 93% that don't are being cowed into silence by that 7%. And it's scary to watch because people really are so afraid to speak up. Um, We had a book party last night in New York City, and it was protested. And that's crazy to me. We don't say anything wild in this book. We say that kids should have their innocence preserved. We say that childhood is important. We say that um, conformity of opinion is not something that we want in a free country. We don't say anything crazy. And yet there were protesters who threw glasses and threw drinks. And, you know, my, my co-author Bethany had her baby with her. There were pregnant women there. They don't care. They're just... Mm wilding out and thinking that that's okay because for so long that's been treated as acceptable behavior and our impulse is obviously to like laugh at them and make light of it but it's not funny and it's not okay that they get to behave like that and and cow 93 percent of the population into silence uh, we're talking with Carol Markowitz. She referred to her uh, co-author, Bethany Mand- Mandel, um, who is, as you mentioned, an accomplished author of the book again. Uh, and I, and I did this in my segment the other day, Carol. I saluted Daily Wire for leading on this. I, you know, I don't, dig- I don't agree with everything on everybody on Daily Wire, but I agree mm-hmm. with they're fearless into the fray and they published this book and, and they took, uh, whatever you take a chance. I mean, and as you said, they're running a business too. They're trying to figure out how to, how to get good things out and, and right. sell the books. The book is called Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence and Indoctrinating a Generation. Besides that broad um, perspective you just said, which is the, the the culture silencing parents, 
because the opening line, uh, one of the one of the early lines is the kids are not all right. You write, and and it's mm-hmm. the kids that are the parents. We're all the parents are messed up too. That's a different kind of question in a weird way. But but is 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 the number one way this is happening? I, I mean, again, I know the answer. It's our school system, but is it is it you know part of it is we didn't quite realize it now you realize it I, in other words they were indoctrinating our kids before perhaps or, and, and perhaps right. in many ways now it's like in your face and in the kids face yeah so we in stolen youth we go through all the ways that this is happening and schools is just one chapter right. schools are very important but i think people are awake to what's going on in the schools i think that parents are fighting back i think they're being a lot more careful about what's introduced in their school curriculum but it's also happening at your pediatrician's office and at the library and publishing companies and obviously in corporations like disney um it's happening everywhere and it's aiming at your kid and so what we say is that it's yeah you definitely should fight back at your school you should run for school board you should FOIA request um all the all the documents in your school um you should consider maybe switching schools if your school is too woke and and really just completely indoctrinating children um you should maybe consider moving like we did i i know that that's really hard it wasn't easy for us either but you have to do what you have to do for your children but the the bigger problem for us is that medical schools are teaching this really narrow way of thinking and you're not allowed to step outside of it and you could lose your medical license if you do. Um, teachers colleges are teaching a generation of teachers that a Marxist thought. And then these teachers go and they spread this thought throughout the country. And anybody who believes this is a, a issue only in blue areas has not been paying attention. That's one of the main things that we want to hit is that in Stolen Youth, we talk to people in all kinds of deep red areas who nevertheless had their kids targeted for just this kind of indoctrination. It's uh, our guest again is uh, Carol Markowitz. I don't know. I kind of sighed there. It, fe- it feels overwhelming to me. Uh, Carol Markowitz. And again, Bethany Mendel, her a- a co-author wrote stolen youth, how radicals are erasing innocence and indoctrinating a generation. And uh, it's daily wire. We salute them for stepping up for this book. Um, last sort of line of question, Carol, it could be an answer for like a month of, of talking, but Okay, what do you do now? I mean, I know you just laid out some of the the pieces, you know, but but part of me feels like when you say all that and my kids are 19 down to 11, part of me feels like almost like homeschool and lock the door, right? Homeschool right. and I mean, how do you get how do you get that fee- and part of the and by the way, that's part of what the culture wants us to do is feel alone, feel isolated and 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 sort of retreat. How, you know, what do we do? Yeah. So Bethany is a homeschooling mom of six and I have three kids, two in public and one in private. So we really rent, run the gamut of, of solutions. And, and again, so she lives in Maryland in a blue, really blue state. I live in Florida in a red state and we have different paths. In the book, we provide two very distinct options for how to raise your family in this situation. And Bethany is in the opt-out category, but even she says she opts out of, of schools. She homeschools. Um, she does so many things. She pre-screens all her kids' books and TV shows and movies. Um, she does all of that, but she, she says even still, she can't find a pediatrician that isn't, you know, targeted with this wokeness at their medical school. She can't, you still need to live in the culture. So for me, the way I raise my kids is I provide a really solid foundation. We talk very openly about subjects that I think a lot of parents want to avoid with their kids. And I provide them a way to move in the world and be confident in themselves. And I'm hoping to raise resilient adults who 
will stay strong in their opinion and not cower and not fear. Well, Carol, th- first of all, thank you for being out there and taking all the time to, as a writer to do this and to speak about it. And I hope uh, as your voice keeps getting uh, louder and louder or is at least listened to more and more, uh, more and more folks will hear it. Cause I've always especially found you're, you know, you're neither, I don't know, you may, I don't know if you're, not, who cares if you're partisan, but you're not, not hysterical. You're saying, Hey, here's what we're seeing and here's what's happening. And I, I think it's really important. So congratulations on the book. Sorry about the idiots that showed up at your event um, <laughs> and uh, keep on, uh, keep on up the great work. And let us know how we can help. Uh, so thank you, thank Carol you Markowitz so and the book Stolen Youth from Daily Wire Publications. Thanks. Thank you. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll come back and I'll put up on social media all the links to uh, the uh, to the book as well as to the article I mentioned the from the New York Post and some other stuff there. So uh, important, uh, very important. And we'll hear more from Carol, uh, God willing. All right. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, it's probably six months, maybe a year ago, uh, John Kuhns came on my uh, show. He had a book. And I remember it very well because the books, they sent me this book. I, I, and I, I, you know, I get a lot of these as my readers know. And I got into this one. They call me Ishmael and it was, it's extraordinary. It's an, it's almost reads, well, it doesn't, it, it does read like a Hollywood script because the, 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 the place is called Bougainville. And John Cuse is an American who went there and works there and has been there. And the people there are, it's on Papua New Guinea, or I guess it's an island next to Papua New Guinea. And it's just an extraordinary story of, um, a man who runs for office becomes the, the, I guess the governor is the term, but I, I was, it, uh, in contact with John Kuhn's, the author, uh, who's living in Bougainville and, and is an American citizen. Post Hill Press, by the way, published the book. And I, and he uh, texted me, he said, Hey, or emailed and said, Hey, you know, um, all the stuff we talked about, one aspect of this that's getting really real is the dominance of the communist Chinese regime in this part of the world, the Pacific, and particularly because uh, Bougainville has a big mine. So I said, let's get back on the phone, uh, John. I mean, let's get back on the show, John. So welcome back, John Kuhns. How are you, sir? I'm great, Ed. Thanks for having me back. Good to talk to you. Well, it's good to talk to you first for a little uh, sort of uh, John Kuhn's color. You're an American from Connecticut originally. You've kind of been a businessman and all kinds of things, but you live out in Bougainville. First of all, tell us if when you go to go there, when you come home and see your friends in Connecticut, then go back to Bougainville. How do you get there? And and are you there most of the year? I mean, give us a little bit of John Kuhn's color. You're like a Indiana Jones character, except coming off of Wall Street, I suppose. But uh, give us they give us some color on this. Well, Ed, first of all, uh, I have lived here in Bougainville for eight years now. I first came in August 2015. Mm. And in terms of getting here, uh, all I can say is that it happens with great difficulty. The last trip I took, and again, post-COVID, a lot of the airlines, for example, like Qantas, who used to frequent uh, routes in this part of the world, have cut back. So my last trip, which was about a month ago, coming here from my house in Greenwich, Connecticut, door to door took me ready for this 57 hours. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That's airplanes and and airports. But it's it's really difficult to get here. Uh, Bougainville is, as you indicated, it's part of Papua New Guinea. It's an autonomous region at this point because of the civil war they fought and 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 won in a standoff. So, uh, but to get here, you 
you have to go through Port Moresby, which is the capital of uh, Papua New Guinea. And uh, to get to Port Moresby is not easy. So, sorry, we're talking with John uh, John Kuhn. So, and and there, when you get there, um, are are you the only like uh, white guy? You know, Orang. I, I lived in Indonesia, as I told you, and and the phrase that they use was Orang Puti, white man, the man in over in Indonesia side, which is the Bahasa. But are you like the yeah. only, or is there some Australians? Are there some uh, uh, Japanese, Chinese? I mean, who's 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 around you? Uh the autonomous region of Bougainville, which has about 300,000 people at, uh, is, is predominantly uh, made up of a Bougainvillean population. There are, in my town, there's, there's, there's two larger, and when I say large, not large, I mean about 10,000 people each. Two towns in Bougainville, are both uh, are about 8,000, 10,000 people. And in my town, which is Arrowa, I'm one of three white guys, as you uh-huh. put it. Uh, <laughs> there aren't there aren't a lot of uh, Asians here. There's some Asians in the capital, which is called Buka Town. Uh-huh. Uh, they've been there since the Japanese brought them in World War II as uh, as laundry and, and store, uh, you know, comfort women, etc. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's not a lot of Asians here. There are a lot of people from Papua New Guinea. And, uh, of course, this place is part of Papua New Guinea. The Bougainvilleans are very discernible because they are the darkest people you have ever seen. Oh. They are really black, huh. and they're very proud of it. Papua New Guineans are a little more chocolate-flavored. Huh. Wow. Um, all right. Jo- uh, John Kuhn's our guest. He's an author and the author of the book, uh, They Call Me Ishmael. Uh, John D. Kuhn's, he's written a number of other books, too, uh, uh, in his career. But this one is about uh, a gentleman uh, last name is Ishmael, who becomes the governor of the of this uh, island. Uh, one last question. Are, are you there at this point in your career? Are you are you there because you're retired? You're a business consultant. You I mean, are you how did you how did you, you know, eight years ago? I mean, not with all due respect. You're not a kid, so you didn't go there just for fun. What, what got you there? Yeah, no, I, Ed, uh, I am definitely not retired. Uh, I, when I'm here, which I, I said is, is about eight to nine months a year, I, we work uh, seven days a week. Uh, my company, Numa Numa Resources, is the predominant developer at this point of the infrastructure that the president, Ishmael, as you mentioned, is going to need to declare independence. So uh, I'm very good friends with Ishmael. Uh, we don't have any business relationship or agreement. He is highly intelligent and even more uh, incorruptible, uh, but he needs to get the economy developed so that he can declare independence, uh, which the people have voted for from Papua New Guinea. And, and I'm the, the person who uh, is, is certainly one of the people helping him do that. So that's what my company right. is doing and uh i'm right. definitely so, not retired. <laughs> so this is so this is the reason we were texting though because you know and you've heard me talk on the pro america report and a lot of our a lot of our guests and others the american people i think are more and more clear-eyed about the problem of the communist chinese and what they're doing they don't they don't really abide by any of the sort of uh western uh ideals of the rule of law or fairness or anything else it's uh might makes right and they're and when you emailed me you were like hey ed since we even were uh, on a talk 
talking um, over less than a year ago, uh, the Chinese are on the move. I, I describe for me in in the in the in the body of your email. I remember you referring to the Solomon Islands, and you know the fact that the the Chinese regime is moving on the Solomon Islands, which is right next door. But walk us through what's the what's the sort of uh, geopolitical environment right around there, and why a uh, Bougainville, which you know three hundred thousand people, so it sounds like a nice sized place, but why would it become a target for the the communist regime? Well, Ed, as, as you know, many people smarter than me have said, uh, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And right. the Chinese are basically taking out the plan that the Japanese used all the way back in the 1930s, which was to dominate the island chains in the Pacific and and also the resources of the Asia-Pacific area to keep out uh, their enemy, who uh, their uh, sworn enemy, who was, of course, the United States, the Chinese is doing the same thing. So huh. with respect to the Solomon Islands, and again, Bougainville is actually the largest island in the Solomon Islands. It's I right see. up the island chain from Guadalcanal, which many of your uh, listeners have heard of, of course. But it's part of Papua New Guinea. Why? Because of the golden copper in the Panguna mine. But in the Solomons, and the Solomons are gone. Okay, the Chinese has bought them at least for 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 current purposes, lock, stock, and barrel. Even though uh, Australia, who's supposed to be in charge of things in this part of the world, was looking on and, and just was amateurish about maintaining control of the Solomons, the Chinese came in, and what they do is they try and find countries where there's centralized power where the government is in charge of the resources and they simply bribe the guys at the top of the pyramid and get control of the place. And that's exactly what happened in the Solomons. It also doesn't happen that the Solomon Islands is broke. And so they're really now indebted to the Chinese. They'll never be able to pay them off. And, and basically the Chinese is now uh, with the Solomons, keeping out our naval vessels, British naval vessels and, course here in bougainville we're watching with great concern as that takes place you know um when i read the book and again we're talking with john coons and his book uh, published by post hill press and you should get it and and, the, and it's extraordinary you know you talk about um uh, I don't know, a founding of a, of a nation, I guess. It's not quite a nation. As you said, there was a civil war and there is a separation, but it's not quite, I think, uh, established as a nation. But, um, one of the things that you, you in the book talk about, and I've heard you say before, uh, when we're on the radio as well as, uh, offline is this, um, Ishmael is truly, uh, not corrupt. He's not in it. He doesn't need the money. He kind of came at it. But, you know, um, I hate to say it. That's how a lot of people are until they're not. And the question is, I don't, I don't mean to, to say that he wouldn't be, but is, what about the politics of it? Is, is his, he's been elected president. I think, uh, this book came out about a year ago. He had won just maybe a year before that. Is his term, uh, is he up for reelection? Is it, uh, have the Chinese in some places, the communist Chinese buy the politics a little bit ahead of the, of the, of, of owning the leader? I mean, are, are you, are you seeing that influence? Uh, Ed, your instincts are, are right on target. Uh, yes, first of all, in terms of the timeline, uh, the country voted for independence in December of 2019. 98% of the people voted for independence. Thanks for Ishmael campaigning for that. He then ran for president and was elected in September 
for 2020. So he's been president basically about two and a half years. His platform is to achieve independence from PNG and to redevelop the economy so he can pay for independence. And yes, Ishmael is is a, is essentially or one of a kind for a typical South Pacific nation. The real issue is those people around him who may not be. And the Chinese aren't going to go away yet. This mine is too big. There's 1.3 million tons of wow. copper Holy worth cow. about $70 billion in that mine. They need it to achieve their goals of, among other things, being the number one electric vehicle country in the world. So they're going to keep pecking at the seams here, trying to find a chink in Ishmael's armor. Um, you know, again, John Kuhn's our guest, the author, and I, I can encourage you, uh, Post Hill Press is the uh, uh, the publisher of They Call Me Ishmael. It's a fascinating book and uh, about this part of the world. And uh, as my listeners know, I lived for a year in Indonesia, uh, mostly far uh, to uh uh, the uh, uh, west of, of where you are and where the Solomons are in Bougainville and uh, uh, Papua New Guinea. Um, but uh, the it, it sometimes and, you know, you, you, if you say this in front of a Bernie Sanders supporter, they get panicked. But sometimes the best uh, investor or the best protection in a place like that is Western or maybe European businesses so that you get some of these uh you know big oil companies say uh exxon comes in and they're because they they have an interest right they they have an interest and they have the uh and they have the ability to manage the the um the complexity and all and it's a little bit harder for uh the interest to uh, the the geopolitical interest to roll over the the uh property rights of 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 corporations of larger size is there any action like that uh john is is that welcome i mean would you would you uh would that be a part of what you could see that one of these or more of these um you know western or or international companies could could play a role or is that too sort of far off the off the map right now no ed uh to flatter you a little bit great minds think alike i mean actually ishmael asked me uh, once he had been president for about a year and the topic of redeveloping the Panguna mine was addressed in so-called summits, several summits between the landowners who control the resources below the ground in, in Bougainville and therefore the Panguna landowners control the resources in the Panguna mine and the president and his government to uh, consider reopening the mine. They unanimously agreed to do so. And the president asked me some time ago to start initiating conversations with top 20 copper and top 20 gold mining companies to come here to Bougainville to do exactly what you say. Uh, the mine was originally developed by Rio Tinto, obviously, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, because of sure. the Civil yeah, War. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they wouldn't be uh, expecting to come back right. here and nobody right. would, would want them, unfortunately, for them. But but uh, the, the big mining companies are, are just waiting for the president to show clear signs that it's no longer a political risk to, you know, institute about a $4 billion redeveloped mine in Bougainville. And then hopefully those influences that you mentioned, Ed, will pervade here and keep Let's say the Chinese Communist Party, for example, out. 
So when you say the president, you mean the president of Bougainville or do you mean the, uh, uh, yes, uh, the, okay, the president yeah, so, of Bougainville? So, okay. So, well, it's so, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, and again, I didn't, if I, if I didn't listen, I'm sorry. Um, is, does he have to stand for reelection sometime soon? Uh, no, you didn't. But, uh, he, ha- he, according to the constitution, Bougainville has its own, Bougainville has its own constitution. Uh, there are two five-year terms. Okay. And so he's been elected to his first five-year term. His second five-year term would commence in September of 2025. And that's just when, if everything were to go right, we could see a big mining company coming here and agreeing with the landowners and the people and the president and his government to reinstitute the Panguna mine. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, well, um, John, uh, Kuhn's, uh, it's a fascinating story. I think, I feel like you, uh, I feel like I know I saw some of the coverage and I'll put up on social media, the, an interview, I think it was in the Sunday guardian and, and of course the book that's out there, uh, but more attention on this. And, and as, uh, uh, you know, when our national interests coincide with our, uh, with what sounds like uh, good business and good for people, uh, it certainly helps. So uh, I'm, I'm glad we can talk about it. Let's have you back on again sometime soon. And otherwise, uh, best of luck and keep us informed. And thank you very much. And I'll uh, keep you posted on uh, current events here as they unfold. Thanks okay. very much for having me. Yeah, John Kuhn's everybody. And I will make sure, uh, John, I'll put that up on social media. We'll be in touch. And uh, we'll take a break, everyone. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast launched by Phyllis Schlafly, who served as an articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Upholding that legacy and himself an author, national speaker, and attorney, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Conservatives flexed their muscle in the U.S. House by electing a young Trump-supporting congressman from rural Missouri named Jason Smith as chairman of the Powerful Ways and Means Committee. Smith was a late entry in this race, and yet he overcame the less conservative, older Congressman Vern Buchanan, Republican of Florida, on the second ballot. Meanwhile, the new chairman of the House Judiciary Committee is Representative Jim Jordan, the two-time winner of the NCAA Division I Wrestling Championship when he was in college. He also won his state wrestling championship all four years in high school, and at one point defeated a future Olympic gold medalist. As chairman of that committee, Jordan should perform the equivalent of the fireman's carry takedown, a wrestling move that uses an opponent's aggression against him. Jordan can issue subpoenas against the unhinged investigators who are interfering with Trump's ongoing reelection campaign to return to the White House, with a penalty of contempt for liberals who refuse to comply with Jordan's subpoenas. Presidential elections need to be protected by Congress against political hacks who disguise themselves as prosecutors. I have long held that the closest position we have to a dictator in America is the Speaker of the House. For four years, Nancy Pelosi wielded the Speaker's gavel as a bludgeoning weapon against the Republican Party. Now that Kevin McCarthy occupies that chair, it's his job to ensure that those in-house leadership positions understand their part in exposing the abuses of the radical left. No spending bill should be passed that allows funding for Planned Parenthood, for example. No investigation into President Biden's mishandling of classified documents should go soft. The American people need to understand that Speaker McCarthy and the House Republicans have exactly zero reasons to shrug their shoulders and claim an inability to take action. The American people gave them a mandate to take action when they elected a Republican majority to the U.S. House. 
Nothing less than the broad fulfillment of that mandate should be tolerated by the American people. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to finish up quickly. Only have less than a minute to go, but let me just say thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley, our great producer. Uh, he does his own program on The Answer San Diego and helps Andrea Kay. He's super, and so thank you for that. And also Ryan Height, our uh, associate producer. And let me encourage you, uh, I have my uh, texting number. You can text me directly on my phone, 314-256-1776, 314-256-1776. I was in Idaho, I told you a few weeks ago. I gave that number out, and I hear from the best people. They text me with updates, questions. It's great. 314-256-1776. Text me if you have a question. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. I will be back tomorrow. Look forward to talking to you then. All the best. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.